Well, welcome to the Situation Report for March 1st, 2023. It's Lieutenant Colonel Murray. The Capitol theatrics continue, but the case that uh, Thaler brought to the Senate last week is pretty much done. And this is without an admission of guilt by anybody on the list. So it's not to say the accusations aren't true, but it is to say that... There's a good chance that they are true. And the theatrics that were going on there were essentially just for show. Anytime you do disclosure, you need to have a couple of things in your hip pocket before you do anything. First of all, you need to have bulletproof information that can't be picked apart by the mainstream media or anybody else for that matter. It has to be bulletproof. Second of all, you need to have the information available for people to scrutinize the moment you do any disclosure, which was not done in this case. Essentially, it was, here's all the names on the list. We're printing the book. Yeah, doesn't work out so well. For a variety of, of reasons. Look, the bottom line is that they did this. Liz Harris put this together, did this half, half cocked. And I, and I took a lot of shit on Truth Social because I said, I'm going to wait and see how this develops. I'm not convinced all this is true. And I'm not convinced that everybody that's involved is going to be implicated in this. Some are going to be exonerated. Because just because you have a bunch of transactions doesn't mean they're all fraudulent and they didn't have subpoena power to be able to go out and, and do the due diligence to find out if these were real show companies. This was a cursory investigation that was done for lack of a better word, because if you don't have subpoena power, you can't subpoena information from the right people to be able to build a case and Rico cases in general go above the state level to the FBI. Now, you could prosecute a RICO case at the state level, but it takes an incredible amount of inertia to do it, which is why Bronovich didn't do anything, mainly because he was paid off too. But at the same same time, the bigger picture here is not the disclosure. The bigger picture is this is just another nail in the coffin of the election fraud narrative, because if 0.01% of this isn't true, the mainstream media machine goes to work to discredit all of it. So everybody thinks that whoever's involved in this is a crackpot. And Liz Harris, for lack of a better word, is done in the Senate. Her her first her first Senate hearing, and she's done. You have to vet people and information way, way before you ever put them on the floor. Because you know the moment you do that, it's going to be a mountain of blowback followed by a mountain of conjecture followed by a mountain of memes that will not only implicate you, but make you look bad if you don't have your shit wired tight. And Liz didn't have her shit wired tight. And she's going to get eaten alive for it. This is why it's so important for unity across all of our, every bit of our movement, right? Because in every situation like this, they discredit the movement. 
And this is like my seventh or eighth take doing this. I think I spent five hours doing this today. I got a call this morning from a group of Christian women. I don't know how they got my, my phone number, but they got my phone number and they were, they were having their weekly breakfast and they thought that it was appropriate to call me and tell me that I needed to tone down my rhetoric because it was scaring people. And I said, uh, my on speaker, put me on speaker. And so they put me on speaker. How many people am I talking to? You're talking to 12 women. I think it was 12. I wasn't really paying attention to be perfectly honest. And when she put me on speaker, I unloaded. First of all, I was incensed that they felt the need to call me to tell me how to run my show. Then I was incensed that they took the time to figure out what my phone number was. And then I was really incensed that it was a group of quote unquote Christian women that were calling me to square me away. And so the first thing I said was, who the fuck do you think you are calling me unsolicited to tell me how to conduct my show? And second, you can tongue my sweaty nutsack if you think I'm going to take orders from a group of repressed Christian, narcissistic, judgmental skirts that seem to think it's appropriate to call somebody who's doing their own show to tell them how to run their show because it's scaring people. Let me just be perfectly clear. We are at war. Wake the fuck up. You are the reason we are here. You are. Every time you judgmental, narcissistic, passive-aggressive retards get into a group, you, think, you, you seem to think that it's appropriate for you to tell other people how they're supposed to conduct themselves so it fits your view of the world. And you wonder why there's no unity in our communities. There's not a lot of people that are signing up for the new Christian right message and why our churches have been paid off. You're the reason. Everybody that goes to church that gets a whiff of your passive aggressive judgment says, yeah, I want more of that. Sign me up for that shit. I'm going back. You know what, lady? Your husband isn't at work. He's hiding from you. Because... You've turned him into a beta cuck because you can't hear the phone ring from space. Are you seriously thinking that you were going to call me and I was going to capitulate to a bunch of passive aggressive skirts? Are you shitting me? Here's what you should do. I think you can suck the farts out of my ass and shut the fuck up because nobody, and I mean nobody, gives a flying fuck what you think, especially me. Because while you're sitting there with your coffee and your donuts and your other bullshit, there's people right now that are working very, very hard traveling the country, trying to get people like you to pay attention and wake up. And you seem to be wrapped up in dictating how people should talk. I think you should fuck off. And I hang up the phone. That was my day. And I normally don't. 
respond to shit like that. I normally don't get upset. But you know how you, your kids say something to you and you just can't stop yourself. Your parents come out and you say shit like, stop that crying for I'll give you something to cry about. Remember that shit? Or my favorite, if your friends jumped off a, a bridge smoking dope and jumping rope, are you going to do it too? Right? Right after them. Head first, Dad. I'm swan diamond off that bridge. I'm all in, baby. Go big or go home. That was today. And what it really shows me, though, despite the uh, the, the massively um, intrusive and mostly annoying call, is people don't understand where we are. They are clearly lost in the minutia of the noise to clearly understand where we are. And that's the unfortunate part of, of this situation. And it, it reminds me of just how many people are going to struggle when things collapse. Because let me give you context on where things are right now. And this is this is a conglomeration of both what I've heard, what I've been told. There's a, there's a whole litany of things going on all at the same time. So Mike Adams was talking about how they're dismantling the coal plants. We've known that, right? But they're accelerating the dismantlement of the power infrastructure in this country. Remember, the strategic reserve is being drained at the same time that all that's going on. The rail system has suffered several catastrophic failures just in the last couple of weeks. So you're going to see impact on the logistical systems too. How do you think we move coal? We move it via rail. Last year, BlackRock put a quota on the amount of cars and, and rail traffic that the railroads could push across rails arbitrarily, which is driving a three to four, three to four day supply of coal in the states that have that need coal to operate. Not every... Not every um, state has hydroelectric power. It's just not something that's plentiful in every state. So some states depend on coal and nuclear to provide electricity. You know, in Washington State, we were spoiled because we had Grand Coulee Dam and several other hydroelectric dams that were providing power to most of the state, as well as parts of Idaho. And you take for granted that other other parts of the country don't have, you know, flowing rivers like the Columbia River to power a hydroelectric plant. plant. But, you know, they're going to get to the point where there's not, there's going to be rolling brownouts. They're architecting a solution just like Sri Lanka. They're architecting this. And at the same time, all that's going on. You have attacks on power plants. You have attacks on power plants that are um, minor right now, but really these are probing attacks is what it is. The enemy's doing reconnaissance to figure out where the key nodes are that will take down the entire grid. And this is these are scenarios that we've wargamed in the military as well as in <clears throat> different parts of the government for years. And it's all coming to fruition all at the same time. While all of that is going on, you have Bill Gates Messing with the food supply, the protein supply especially. You have the FDA that's pushing 
this narrative that there's this swine flu or this bird flu running around that is killing all this poultry. Of course, they're using the PCR test and they're killing off, you know, uh, chickens, which is driving the prices of chicken eggs and everything else up. At the same time, that's going on. You have the situation in Ukraine that is accelerating. And what's happening in Ukraine, and, and I've seen this from various sources now. Scott Scott Ritter was one of them. Um, there's a, a couple of sources, even Masobiak's talking about how the Ukrainians are running out of um, ammunition and artillery shells. We knew this was a problem. And I think Tom Luongo was right the other day when he was talking about how Putin's plan is to just starve NATO. And when you think about it, it's a context that I hadn't even thought about because I knew Putin wouldn't go for the bait and be lured into a wider conflict with NATO and draw his forces into a conflict he knew he couldn't win. That's just not how he rolls. He also doesn't believe in drawing other people into the conflict that, well, let's just say he doesn't need the innocent fratricide on his ledger right now. If he, if he thought there was a benefit to Russia to do that, he'd probably do it. But he just doesn't, I don't see him doing it. What I see him doing is starving out NATO. And what's going to happen when the Ukrainians run out of ammunition and artillery shells? That literally is going to drive a land grab that the press cannot cover up. And it's going to drive movement of forces. We're talking about a thousand mile front here. And you've got forces almost surrounded and Bakhmut, which when you look at the strategic importance of this place, there's no strategic value here. It's the salt mines, which, you know, it's a hole in the ground that goes miles. You have to ask the question, why is that important? There's no strategic importance to the salt mines unless there's something there. And the Ukrainian army has gone all in. We have to defend Bakhmut. Why? I would think retreating and pulling your forces back and reconsolidating your forces and building defensive belts, which there are defensive belts behind Bakhmut. It's trench warfare is what it is, which is amazing to me, given that we're in a maneuver warfare environment. But Bakhmut represents Stalingrad because high-value targets is Kiev and Odessa, right? Odessa is a place the Russians don't even want to attack. Maripol, absolutely. But Odessa, no, Odessa has architecture that dates back to, you know, ancient Greece. You don't want to blow that up. And even the Germans wouldn't blow it up in World War II. But like Stalingrad, the Ukrainians have gone all in and they pushed all these forces into this area. And it's just been a meek rider. And again, they can't do anything in a battalion size element anyway. So it's just a matter of time. At the same time, you're looking at that piece of the pie. You have to ask the question, what is it going to look like if NATO gets directly involved? Because the rhetoric coming out of NATO and coming out of um, uh, all these different um, NATO countries is incredibly reckless and stupid. Because you have the Estonian prime minister now saying NATO countries must take control of Moscow and forcibly rewrite the mentality of Russian citizens so that the Russians will never pose a threat again. Let me say that again. 
NATO countries must take control of Moscow and forcibly rewrite the mentality of the Russian citizens so that the Russians will never pose a threat again. That is openly calling for invasion of Russia, which, by the way, we can't do, and we couldn't sustain even if we wanted to, and we couldn't occupy it. So that's a pipe dream. But that rhetoric is dangerous. But that tells you the level of desperation that is coming out of NATO countries when they realized that the gig's about up. You can't wag the dog anymore. It's about to wag you. And when it does, all bets are off. And that goes along with this, this dumbass rhetoric that um, Marjorie Taylor Greene has put out a week ago where we need a divorce in this country. And, of course, she had to backpedal it, walk it back on Sean Hannity, where she was saying that she's really just talking about limiting the size of federal government. And that's not what she said. We need to divorce ourselves in this country, which is essentially seceding from the entire federal government and states seceding from. That's how everybody took it. That's literally how everybody took it. And the fact that she had to go walk it back means not only did she get calibrated, one of those what the hell are you thinking moments, but it was a it was a moment where she had to admit that you know she had she had made a tactical error because she did make a tactical error. That that whole conversation is dangerous because it 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 breeds the civil war. It breeds the the, the spirit of the civil war. It breeds the desire for a civil war. And that is the absolute last thing we need right now in this country. But yet, this is the kind of BS that these stupid politicians propagate in the mainstream. And no doubt, I'm sure she was encouraged by somebody in the intelligence community to say that stupid shit. Because you just don't say shit like that. You just don't. But she did. And because she did, and now we're in this situation where people are talking about civil war. This is not a condition that we need to be even talking about right now. What we need to be talking about is resistance and a revolution against our tyrannical government. But this is the key indicator of a government that is on the verge of collapse because you have senators openly talking about the government collapsing and the government needing to be separated from the rest of the, the government because it's so corrupt. This is a very powerful message. And it also shows you that the U.S. is in decline. And this goes along with what Tom Luongo and I talked about, right? How do we think how do we think this is going to develop? And you know, to be perfectly transparent, we talked for probably 20, 30 minutes before we did this before I recorded. Then we talked after the show. And I could tell you, 
that he sees a lot of things um, on the radar that I think most people aren't even looking at. Like I wasn't looking at the the de-dollarization in the same way he was looking at. I was looking at it, but I was thinking that China wants to be the reserve currency. And he was saying emphatically that no, China does not want to be the reserve currency because it's a triple-edged sword. And I had no idea, right? I had no idea. So I think he's he's probably correct. But one of the things he talks about that we talked about, again, um, when we were recording was how this all um, metastasizes. Because he wanted to know my thoughts on why I think it's going to go kinetic. And I was very straightforward and said, look, they're driving us towards a Sri Lanka moment. And when that happens, all of their plans are going to go out the window because you you have to remember that the American public has not suffered any kind of real struggle for over 100 years. And even if we, let's say, accidentally architect the situation, there's there's a couple of things that are going to come out of this that they are not anticipating or maybe they've war gamed out but they're not going to they're not going to be able to respond to it to stay on plan and that is this when people can't feed their family when people can't literally turn on the you know turn the heat on especially colder climates like montana those people are armed and it's going to get really fucking personal really fucking quick for all of these people that have never struggled. And when people get desperate, they do desperate things. It's not like you can go to your neighbor's house and demand they turn the heat on. Because if everybody's out of power, guess what? Nobody's got heat. And when you run out of wood, same thing with your neighbor. Guess what? You're not going over there demanding he's going to start a fire. You're going to want to know who the fuck did this. You want to know, you're going to want to know who's responsible. And you're going to get in car in your car and use the last bit of gas you have, and you're going to go hunt those people down. That day is coming. And these politicians keep playing this script that they think nobody's caught on to. And this is the script. I'm going to throw a tantrum in public because I didn't get my way. And then I'm going to say, we'll get them next time, which is what they've been doing forever. They play the same script because it works until it doesn't. And it's about to not work because you have this whole class of people in this country that are watching the resources be depleted and the wealth being extracted from this country. And they know exactly who's doing it. You don't, you don't seem to think that that group of ladies today was, they weren't just calling me. I'm sure they've called other people with their nonsensical view of the world, but where the, where the, you know, rubber meets the road is it, they're not disenfranchised to the point yet where they're ready to pick up arms. And there's going to be a time that war game or not, AI or not, guess what? Fight's coming. And it's coming to you and it's coming near you, whether you like it or not. And there's not going to be any stopping it. There's not going to be some conversation where people, you know, they get the better sense of, of the situation. No. It's going to be a bunch of really pissed off people 
that want to know why this is happening and why nobody stepped in. That's coming. And when it does, you're going to see a shift and they're not going to be able to control it. I don't, I've seen this play out so many times, it's not even funny. This this whole narrative is is so ridiculously and and hilariously naive that they can control all the variables in a in a conflict like this. They can't. Even on their best day, they can't. And they're going to try their level best to not only drag us down to where Sri Lanka was at, but they're going to try and drag us down to Sri Lanka and then instill this retarded social scoring system. Sorry for the pause. My phone's my phone's blown up for some reason. Everybody wants to talk to me all the same reason, all at the same time. I'm not exactly sure why. But suffice it to say that the um that whole situation is is not going to go out the way they want it to. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is that I routinely have people talking to me, telling me that, you know, all is lost, the country's lost. We're not going to come back from this. Things are terrible. We're all terrible. Look, this is how this is going to roll. First of all, I've said this a hundred times. I'll say it in a hundred more before people finally latch into it. Look, this isn't going to go the way the elite wanted to go. You already have New York bankers that are fighting against the city of London right now to bankrupt that shithole and get rid of the aristocracy. What you are watching is the end of a corrupt system that has operated our country for the better part of 100 years. This goes all the way back to the 30s and the 20s when FDR came to town and gave us the, the, the New Deal. The New Deal created Social Security, which is bankrupting us right now. And the New Deal set up discretionary and non-discretionary funding, meaning Social Security and all of those entitlement programs are discretionary funding that you can't touch as a Congress. The only thing they can go after is non-discretionary funding. And because they've changed the way that they do the books through FAS, uh, FASB 50, they literally have created two sets of ledgers. And they do off-the-book things like work with the cartels, sell drugs, traffic humans, to fund the entire government. That has to die. That has to die a loud, grotesque military death. No matter how you cut it, it has to die. And the death throes of it are what you're watching right now. You're watching a system that hasn't realized it's already done. And they can't prolong the inevitable. No matter how, how many different ways they try to, they can't. And it's not going to change the situation anyway. The situation is they're done. They know they're done. And they don't know what to do because they're done. And you and I will be the benefactors of that collapse. And we will have to pull ourselves up, fire bootstraps, organize probably while we're in a fight with the cartels, and then repatriate our country, rebuild our society, rebuild our manufacturing base, rebuild our infrastructure, and purge the world of these people. That's all going to happen at the same time. But the thing that's going to come out of this that people don't realize and the 
and, and people need to realize is that we're going to go back to a very simple existence where you have a lot of very hard people that are making really hard decisions for the benefit of humanity, not for the benefit of themselves. And then we're going to put things in place that will never let this happen again. And 50 generations from now, when I'm long dead, they'll be looking back at this moment in history and they'll be saying, a few brave people stood up and courage was contagious and the rest of the country stood up and they banded together and they fought off this tyranny. A day is coming. Whether they like it or not, whether they think so or not, it's coming. And when it does, justice will be swift. I've seen this play out in a hundred different historical references. Go look at what happened to anybody that collaborated with the Nazis after we liberated Europe. Go look and see what happened to them. That's exactly what's going to happen to all these people that have sold us out and committed treason. They're done. Game over. End of story. So all this theatrics last week by Ben Toma and crew, it was all about one thing. It was all about protecting their situation, which the secret's out now. I'm convinced that, that that's exactly what was going on, but the presentation, the disclosure was done so badly that these people think they're protected. And now, more than any other time in their history, they will be even more insufferably arrogant, which will only help their demise speed up. And I think that Ukraine is going to be driven to a culmination point where the press can't hide it anymore, and it'll cause a collapse of NATO and the European Union, as well as most of the European economies. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the next order of battle. That's as it should be. Because Europe in and of itself is run by a bunch of liberal Eurofag bureaucrats that need to go away. Every single one of them has committed treason. Every one of them. And all the oligarchs, the other part that's going to come out of this is it's not going to matter how much money you have. It's not going to matter how rich you are. You are not going to be above the law anymore. You will be held to account for your crimes, whether you like it or not. No matter how many private armies you hire, how many mercenaries you hire, it ain't going to matter. Because this moment in time is going to galvanize an entire generation. That that lifestyle of allowing people to live opulence and commit crimes, over. Game over. That's what these people are so desperately afraid of. And that's what's coming. And when it happens, it'll happen quickly. And you'll see the deterioration of this system, not the country, the system that operates this, this country. You'll see that deteriorate. But you won't see the country deteriorate. You'll see a resolve that you haven't seen for a very, very long time. It's coming, folks. The thing is, prepare as best you can. And our community is what's going to carry us through this. Always has been. That's why I've been beating the drum around our, our rebuilding our community. Because it's, it's literally the next order of battle for us to move back to an agrarian, industrial, information society that's not built on all this complexity. And then we're going to have to do something about AI because AI is going to be the next fight. Today, I'm going to end with uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, because I think it's appropriate. 
little Metallica. And I think that uh, it's going to be, um, well, I think two things. I think it's going to be, uh, a, that's appropriate. I'll just leave it there. You've heard this at the start of uh, Zombieland, the first one, not the second one. Maybe it was in the second one, but I think it was the first one, the, uh, the starting credits for Zombieland. This, this song's been around a while, but this is For Whom the Bell Tolls, Metallica. Get away. 